All right. I think that brings us to the end of our service for today because I think we've accomplished so much, haven't we? We have. Hmm? Would you turn your attention to the screen as we watch this video? Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it no. is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this. Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. That's what I said. That's what I meant. Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier. Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday? Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I bet if he was there, he was probably like, And you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said, Get up, get up, get up, ooh. <laughs> now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions. Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. Hey, I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that. And probably... Tony. I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry. Tony is. Still not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says, untie them and bring them to me. And if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez. Yeah. What? Well, Jesus told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him. What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out. I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. What? He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry. Jesus fed a large group of people. and That's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD. The significance of Jesus riding in on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9.9. Yeah, but... The and the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches, the palm branches symbolized triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The branches. Palm branches, palm Sunday. I thought it was the palm. They should call it Branch Sunday because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all the time. I just, I feel bad. I, I'm sorry, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of his passion and the joy of his resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life. And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings.
Amen. So that's the story we're looking at today. You know, everybody loves a parade. I spent my growing up years in Belmopan, Belize, where on September 21st of each year, Belmopan, which is the capital of the country, has the largest, if not the second largest, Independence Day parade in the country. It's called a uniform parade. And by uniform, I mean an actual uniform, as all schools have a uniform of choice in Belize all the way through to high school, starting from preschool. So all schools have a uniform. Now, this parade is mandatory for students, young and old. They must do the 2.4-mile walk parading around what is called the ring road. And it's called the ring road because it's actually a circle, and it spans for 2.4 miles. And the whole city turns out for the parade. People come out early in the morning and drive their vehicle out there and put their chairs out there and claim their spot so that they can get pictures or see their kids and see the different bands that are passing through because every school has this huge sound system at the back of their uh, vehicle that is leading them with just their own music playing. And so it's this exciting thing. The whole city turns out. And I did that parade for 10 years at least before going off to college. And then I stopped doing it for almost six years. But I would later become an associate pastor at LifeNet Foursquare Church in Belize. And I ended up marching in that parade, handing out water to students and bystanders. This parade became a yearly outreach for our church then. As tens of thousands of people easily would flock to the ring road, adorned in red and blue, the colors of the Belizean flag. Some even waving flags. No longer was I a parade watcher, a bystander. I became a participant. See, everyone loves a parade, and anyone can be a bystander, but it takes a little something extra. To be a participant. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you that as we reflect on Palm Sunday, God, that we are indeed saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, may we incline our ears and hearts to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says... Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. And this event we're going to read about marked the beginning of Jesus' final week on earth and served as a turning point in the story of our salvation. And as we explore the message of Mark 11, I want us to consider the deeper meaning of Jesus' triumphal entry and how it speaks to us today. My sermon for today will focus on two main points. Point one, Jesus, the humble king. Point two, a call to recognize and welcome our king. Let's look at point one, Jesus, the humble king, Mark 11, verses 1 to 7. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. 
which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. Verse 4. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered that Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Mark 11, 1-7 recounts how Jesus prepared for his entry into Jerusalem by sending two of his disciples to fetch a colt. Your translation might say a donkey that had never been ridden. This act fulfilled the prophecy found in Zechariah 9:9, which declares, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As the disciples brought the colt to Jesus and spread their cloaks on its back, they acknowledged their allegiance to Jesus as their king. This act demonstrated their recognition of Jesus as the promised Messiah. Yet, the disciples and many of Jesus' day failed to grasp the full implications of his kingship. See, many expected a political and military ruler who would liberate them from Roman oppression. But Jesus came as a humble servant, ready to lay down his life for the salvation of humanity. Which points to this deeper significance of his humility. The humility displayed by Jesus in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem is not an isolated event, but rather a consistent theme throughout his life and ministry. From his birth in a lowly stable to his selfless service to others, Jesus exemplified humility in every aspect of his life. In Philippians 2, 5 to 8, the Apostle Paul writes about the humility of Christ. It reads like this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In choosing to ride a colt or a donkey, Jesus made a powerful statement about the nature of his kingship. And I feel like I've got to talk a little bit about what are donkeys really for us to understand this. I learned this uh, last semester as I did a study through the book of Mark. And so the donkey is one of the most exploited and abused animals in history. And the attitude towards donkeys has not changed very much even today. But what isn't clear to me is why the saying, you are as stubborn as a donkey, exists. Especially when stubbornness is actually a human trait. It should be the other way around. Perhaps a donkey might say to another, you are as stubborn as a human. 
See, in reality, the donkey is a modest, diligent, and hardy animal with a mild temperament. But not everyone thinks so. In the perception of many people around the world, the donkey is a sluggish, senseless, defiant, and stubborn animal. Those who look at a donkey with more respect recognize many virtues in him. He's very lively, hardworking, durable, and even beautiful. Additionally, the donkey also experiences unfair discrimination, especially in relation to its horse relative. While a horse is normally considered a noble and beautiful animal that belongs to a higher class, the donkey is seen as an animal that serves and suffers beatings and humiliation. And the fact that horses were ridden by knights and donkeys ridden by their servants in centuries past also classifies this animal in a lower class. But did you know that donkeys have a deep symbolic meaning in the Bible? They are mentioned 173 times. Only sheep are mentioned more than them. Among these, 173 mentions of donkeys in the Bible is perhaps the most famous story about Jesus' glorious entry into Jerusalem. That's what we're looking at today. Here again, the donkey is a kind of reflection of the one who rides him. Jesus places humility and service on the pedestal of all virtues. So, in this scene from our passage today, the donkey is a creature worthy of respect and admiration. Not some senseless creature that is otherwise beaten and humiliated, even though Jesus would be treated that way. I'll even give you a little extra here. It was a donkey that also carried the pregnant Mary all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem when she gave birth to Jesus. I know you probably weren't planning to come and hear a lesson about donkeys this morning. hmm? So unlike the earthly kings of Jesus' time who would enter cities on war horses or in chariots, Jesus chose a symbol of humility, peace, and servanthood. The humility of Jesus is the essence of the gospel message. And it serves as a powerful example for all believers. As followers of Christ, we are called to embrace humility in our own lives. Putting the needs and interests of others above our own, just as Jesus did. And how can we apply that to our lives today? Well, I'm glad you asked because we have tons of examples. But I'll only give you two. We can do this by showing, one, humility in our relationships. In a world that often encourages self-promotion and self-centeredness, we must strive to cultivate humility in our relationships with others. This means listening more than we speak, being slow to anger, and seeking to understand others' perspectives. We can do this, secondly, by humility in our service. Jesus, our Lord and King, washed the feet of his disciples setting an example for us to follow. And he did that throughout his ministry where he served so many people. Therefore, we must look for opportunities to serve others, even in the most mundane and lowly task, remembering that our service to others is an act of worship 
to God. Jesus' actions demonstrated that he was a different kind of king, one who would bring salvation not through military conquest, but through love, sacrifice, and service. And as followers of Christ today, we are called to embrace the humility and servanthood of our king. This means setting aside our own pride, ambitions, and desires in order to serve others and glorify God. In a world that often values status, power, and wealth, let us remember that Jesus' kingdom is built on love, mercy, and grace. Point two, we're moving fast here. A call to recognize and welcome our King. Mark 11, verses 8 to 11. The verses will be up on the screen for you. I won't read them line by line, but I'll paraphrase most of it and uh, make a few quotations here and there. So, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, the crowds spread their cloaks and palm branches on the road to honor him. They shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. See, the people recognized Jesus as a promised Messiah, the one who would bring about the fulfillment of God's kingdom. They welcomed him as their king, and as I mentioned earlier, hoping that he would deliver them from Roman oppression and establish his reign on earth. But there are also those who were there with mean faces on their look, with mean looks on their faces. They were there. Pastor Dan mentioned it earlier. In an inner room, there will be some who will praise Jesus. And if he walked in that room, there are some who will not praise him. This was the setting there, that day. And so their understanding of Jesus' kingship was limited. They wanted to crucify him. They failed to grasp that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world and that his mission was to conquer sin and death through his sacrificial death on the cross. As Jesus entered the city, he went to the temple where he looked around at everything. In the days to come, he would cleanse the temple and teach about the true nature of his kingdom, revealing his divine authority and calling followers to a life of faith and obedience. In John 18:36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom, church, transcends political boundaries, social divisions, and even time itself. It is an eternal kingdom established through his sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, and glorious ascension. Does that make you happy today? Do you get excited about that today, church? So what does this mean for us? Well... Three things. We must recognize Jesus as our eternal king. Just as the people of Jerusalem, they welcome Jesus as their king. We must acknowledge his lordship over our lives. Not in a sense standing there with looks on our faces. We must truly acknowledge his lordship over our lives. This means submitting to his authority, trusting in his wisdom, and seeking to do his will in every aspect of our lives. Two, we must embrace the values of his kingdom. 
citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we're called to live according to its values. This includes cultivating a spirit of love, forgiveness, and humility, as well as pursuing justice and mercy for the oppressed and marginalized. Three, we must proclaim his kingship to the world. Proclaim his kingship to the world. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a public declaration of his kingship. We too must be bold in sharing the good news of Jesus' reign with others, inviting them to recognize him as their savior and king. My second point said a call to recognize and welcome our king. So here's the call. Remember that story I started out with about the parade? I've attended numerous parades here, and people also likewise line up. I ended with this. Anyone can be a bystander, but it takes a little extra to be a participant. They gave Jesus a parade in Jerusalem, a city filled with bystanders. There were not many who were willing to participate in Jerusalem. Today is Palm Sunday, and still we're haunted by those ambiguous feelings which have to do with triumph and tragedy, victory and defeat, honor and dishonor. Today is Palm Sunday, and we remember Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Today is Palm Sunday, and there's a crowd of people out there, out there, lining the street. To welcome Jesus, we call Savior, to be their Savior. Today is Palm Sunday, and someone who lives for him today needs to tell of his good news. The King is coming. Jesus is coming down the road to Jerusalem. Today is Palm Sunday, and the King is coming. Church, I said the King is coming, and no one can remain neutral. The King is coming, and someone must decide. The King is coming, and you must make up your mind about him. The King is coming, and we can no longer remain the same. Something's got to give. Something has to change in our way of thinking. Something has to be different about our loyalties. Something has to be renewed about our commitment. Something has to be chosen above all those things vying for attention. Palm Sunday will not let us rest, will it? It confronts us always with a choice. For always the King is coming to our city in our place and time for over and over again. We are Jerusalem. So on this Palm Sunday, I want to remind us of what is before us today if we want to be bystanders parade watchers palm waving flag waving christians who go home after the parade and forget it then we can do just that drop in our tides pay our dues have a good feeling and be at ease with no worries about our witness but let me warn you if you are serious about this jesus stuff if you want to be a participant then you had better watch out and prepare yourself and get ready because things are before us on this Palm Sunday as we think about Jesus coming along the road to Jerusalem would you be aware of these things be aware of these things church first thing I want you to be aware of is this no one can remain neutral about Jesus we have to decide 
To be neutral about Jesus is to be quasi-Christian. For many Christians today, church membership means no more than belonging to another civic club or fraternal order. They spend their lives in the middle of the road, the front of the bus, the back of the church, the upper level, the lower profile, and the outer edge. They would rather be lukewarm than warm-hearted. They would rather be contented and comfortable than committed. On that first palm-waving day, Jerusalem was full of them, those people who lived their lives in neutral gear. But we cannot live in neutral gear in this day and age. No one living in neutral gear ever moved forward or climbed the hill or had a dream or caught a vision. There comes a time for every person to make a decision. Palm Sunday is a reminder that Jesus confronted Jerusalem with a decision. And this Palm Sunday, Jesus confronts us with the same decision. Some of us have a hard time deciding which crowd we want to be in. The large crowd of bystanders who watch the parade or the small group of participants who marched with Jesus. I've heard it said this way. Everybody wants to go to Rome to see where St. Peter is buried, but nobody wants to live like him. Many people would like to go to the Holy Land to see where Jesus lived, but so many people will not let him live in their hearts and transform them. Palm Sunday, friends, means Jesus confronts us with a choice, a desperate decision, then something else. Second thing is this, this king requires our dedicated devotion. If we make a decision for Jesus, then we are giving him our dedicated devotion. That is what it takes to be a Christian in today's world. It was that way from the beginning. Those 12 disciples were there with him. Jesus did not face Jerusalem alone. One would deny him later. One would betray him later. Jesus did not face Jerusalem alone. They were with him not as tagalongs, but as his loyal followers willing to face Jerusalem is with him. It is true. They did not understand all that was going on. It is true. They would not be able to stand upon their distress of that week. They would sleep. They would deny. They would betray. They would hide and feel lost in their faith when he was crucified. But they were there and they were devoted to Jesus. They dedicated their lives to him. And this is what Palm Sunday requires of us. It is a difficult thing to be a Christian today as it has ever been. The followers of Jesus have always been a minority. We are in the minority today. And there are so many things today which compete for our attention. We are bombarded day after day with the idea that we can be happy, satisfied, forever young and beautiful and have well-adjusted children and never have heartburn, indigestion, trials in this life, acne, gray hair, headaches, or even go bald if we will just spend our money on all the right stuff. It's a lie. Even with money, all of those things come. We're told that our status, our value, our reputation, our worth is found in what we eat, drink, wear, drive, and where we travel for fabulous vacations. It is a lie. I read in the New Testament about a man who filled up his barns and then tore them down to build new ones, to fill them up again, and said to himself, I have it made. Jesus said that man was misled. Friends, Jesus offers us today. The only alternative to the philosophy of a society gone mad 
over amassing things. And here is that philosophy. Put Christ and the kingdom of God above everything else. Above everything else. Jesus offered Jerusalem that choice that first palm waving day. And that choice is before us today. We can choose to be dedicated disciples who devote all we are to Christ and his kingdom. That choice is before us this Palm Sunday. And then something else. The last thing is this. This king offers us a destiny. If we make a decision for Jesus and give him our dedicated devotion, then we're headed for trouble. Because we will have trouble in this life. It does not solve all our problems. It could create more. It does not make life easy. It makes some things more difficult. It does not make things simple. It makes some things more complicated. It will cost you everything just as it did him. Jesus has spelled out what it means. Deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. He had been telling the disciples all along that he was going to Jerusalem to face the cross. And that they would soon have a cross to face themselves. As they got closer to Jerusalem, James and John came to Jesus and asked for places of honor on his right and on his left. He assured them they would have a place, but it would not be what they thought. They would have to drink, in a sense, from the same cup from which he drank. And as Christians today, we must do the same. Everything is not sweetness and light. God is calling us to be his witnesses in today's world. For there is no private Christianity. He is calling us to be servants. For there is no sideline Christianity. He is calling us to be his church. For there is no uninvolved Christianity. This is before us today. Because a lighted world will cost everything. You step out for Jesus. And you'll face some pushback. You step out for Jesus even in your family and say, no, I won't partake of this. Or I won't go there. Or I won't do that. And some will say, oh, you have become too holy and too good at two shoes for me. It's going to cost you something. One day, one palm waving day, Jesus marched right into Jerusalem, the holy city. And said to everything unholy, stand aside. And he is calling us to join him in the parade and say to everything, every form of hatred, bigotry, ignorance, and apathy, stand aside. He's calling us to come beside him and say to every sickness and disease, stand aside. He's asking you to come and join him today to say where there are strongholds in my life, Lord, break them. Where there are strongholds in my family, in my marriage, in my finances, in my body, in my family, Lord, Break them. Stand aside. He's asking you to partner with him today, church. And he'll be there with you. Even in the difficult things. Well, he say, stand aside. Come in my lap. Let me comfort you. Let me walk with you. Let me tend to you in this situation. So this same Jesus rides into our town. And into our lives in this Palm Sunday morning. And he's asking some questions of us. As he did in Israel so long ago. Would you dare to do it, friends? Come join the parade. Come join the parade. Amen? Anyone can be a bystander. But it takes a little something extra to be a participant. 
I'd love to invite the worship team up at this time. And as they make their way up here, I want to tell you that on this Palm Sunday, let us remember the significance of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and commit ourselves to recognizing and welcoming him as our king. And may our lives be marked by his humility and faithful submission to his lordship, a commitment to the values of his kingdom, and a bold proclamation of his kingship to a world in desperate need of his love. Would you join the parade? Would you join the parade? See, on that note, I'll leave you with this. When you came in, you should have received an Easter invite like this. And we passed these out a couple of Sundays ago. My wife and I was moving this week, and one of our church members was actually there. I didn't have any invites, but she gave me the two invites she had, and I invited the guys who were moving us to come to our service. Easter is a time where, yes, a lot of people do return to church for the first time or do come back because they want to recommit. But today, I want you to join the parade. Use this invite and invite someone because often the Lord will use you to accomplish his mission in your neighborhoods. So I want you to take this invite. And don't take it lightly. I've had times where things from church have just become a pile in my vehicle. Let's not do that with this invite. I want you to spend some time and invite someone. Would you stand with me? So we get ready to close. You know, as I was preaching there, I, I feel like if you're in this room today and you feel like you need to make a decision for Christ, you're not walking with him today. You want to join the parade. Or you want to rededicate your lives to him. I'm going to ask all eyes closed at this point in time. If we could just... Uh, continue playing if that's you right where you are I don't want to single you out not here to shame you but if that is you would you raise your hand right where you are and I'd love to pray with you and for you if that's you all right Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for the reminder of the decision that you put before Jerusalem that day. So many years ago, Father. And I pray, Lord, that as we look towards Easter next Sunday and the next few days that were some of the most bitter days, most horrible days of your life, God. But may we not just take that lightly, Lord, but may we consider the weight of that, God. But may we also turn towards you to walk more closely with you, God. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord, that welcomes us with open arms, God. 
Each and every one of us, doesn't matter where we're at in our walk with you. Lord, I pray that we would not just be bystanders in this parade, God. That we would not just set up seats on the fringes and sit in them and warm them. But that we will walk with you boldly and proclaim who you are to us, in us and through us, to a world who is desperately in need of your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.